You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Well, if you wanted me to start the show by crying, you've done a fine job, producer <laughs> Stosh. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to start with the energy you were looking for, if you're trying to elicit from me uh, life-crushing and soul-ending emotions with that. Um, we're going to give it a shot tonight. It's just yet another time for me to cry barf on national media since I was given that opportunity mere moments after the bias trade was made official and somehow mere moments before Chris Bryant was officially gone on around the horn today. It's Spain and Fitz, uh, very distraught Sarah Spain, who is trying to pick up the pieces of my life. And Jason Fitz, who's feeling fine, doesn't have a baseball team, doesn't really know why everyone's so upset today here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to try to get through this show on a Friday and do our best uh, not to uh, crumble under the weight of our massive disappointments and uh, goodbyes that we were not prepared to make, or at least not quite so many. Uh, and Fitz, listen, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tell you how it is. I'm gonna give you the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I'm gonna, I'm gonna commodify my sadness here with the read. Um, everything sucks and nothing matters. And I have been prepared for the Cubs to make some tough decisions this year. They actually were putting up a good enough fight that it felt like for a while there they may be able to avoid selling. And they were buyers. And then there was just a stretch of losses that took him out, and I was really ready for Chris Bryant to go and under the perhaps naive impression that maybe they would hang on to Rizzo and Baez and build around them, Um, and that is not the case either. I'll just let Jeff Passan, our ESPN MLB insider, uh, just roll through all of the people that are gone. I'm still staggered by what the Chicago Cubs did and what they were able to pull off. When I was talking with people leading up to the deadline, they said, you know, Jed, Jed Hoyer's going to have a big deal on Wednesday, a big deal on Thursday, and a big deal on Friday. In the last 24 hours, he traded Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, Craig Kimbrell, and Chris Bryant. Think about that. Think about the amount of talent that the Cubs had that is now gone. It's yeah. just, it, you know, it, 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 this, is, this is the team that is going to be remembered forever as breaking the curse. And now nobody's left. Yeah, Sarah. nobody's left, Fitz. It's, uh, it's extremely sad. Well, and, and look, this is the age-old question that, that constantly fan bases talk about that we're seeing actually happen. The question of, you know, what would you give up to win one World Series? What would you give up to have that moment where you could watch your, your team do everything that you've waited for your entire life for them to do. And and you got to see the greatest, and now it's all being ripped apart. I think the hardest part through all of that is that the Cubs became so relevant for so long over the last few years that you always had this little twinge of hope. And right now, the hope is really about the future, right? And most of this is going to be about future players and future assets and what can it look like in a few years. When you have lived through years and years of waiting to be really good and then you finally get it, the thought that it's being gutted for a rebuild is a it, it, it takes an extra weight because you've lived through what stink looks like and you don't want to do it again. I think that's natural for any fan that looks at this for their team and sees this sort of a rebuild. This is a, a tough one to swallow. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of vacillating between how I feel about it because it's not as simple as being angry because I understand that it's futile to keep pushing for the same core group to try to 
hope for success when it hasn't been there the last couple of years, right? We expected this young core to, to accomplish a whole lot more before we had to find ourselves back in a rebuild. But we're not alone in that. That's that's baseball sometimes. So I'm not angry alone. I'm, I'm clearly disappointed, but I also recognize that sports are a business and they wouldn't be a very good you know, money-making business if the fans didn't see it as something way more than just business. If we didn't get attached to the players and the teams and care so much about them that it hurts when this happens, even if somewhere deep down we might understand that that's kind of the way things had to go. Like I said, there's other teams in this position. In fact, the Nationals just did something similar, and they just won in 2019. We at least had a couple years of really giving it a go, trying to hang on. We went out and got you, Darvish, and Quintana, and, you know, Kimbrell, and a couple other players to see if this could still work by bringing in some pieces. And they, they, they obviously, Jed Hoyer and the Cubs don't think it can, but the Nationals just won in 2019. And Nats broadcaster Dan Colco tweeted out, the Nats and Cubs are playing tonight. You could put together a hell of a team with the players they've traded the last two days. Here's the lineup fits of the players just traded by the Nats and Cubs in the last two days. Catcher, Gomes, first base, Rizzo, second base, Baez, shortstop, Turner, third base, Harrison, left field, Schwarber, center field, Marisnik, right field, Bryant, Scherzer, starting pitcher, Lester, starting pitcher. You got Kimbrell closing. You got in relief, Hudson and Hand. I mean, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. And at some point, I guess you have to look at it and say, how did you get here, too? Like, when you talk about the amount of talent you're talking about, uh, you, and you mentioned it earlier briefly, like you had a, a little modicum of hope, right, that there'd be this uh, a couple of pieces that could stay and they'd look to build around. I think you do have to look at it and say, was this the only option? I mean, is this the only way to get things done? Because right now you went from at least having a surefire reason to have hope at least a little right. to to now everything i mean everything is completely in the air anybody that looks at, right. at trades well, involved could, prospects you know you could go buy right and that's the frustration that i right. think most people have was last year during the covid season ricketts was out saying things like baseball's experiencing biblical losses this is from a team that sells out even when they suck. This is from a team that just launched its own television network because they were so certain about the fandom and the loyalty of Chicagoans to the product even in the lean years. This is not the time to try to convince everyone that you don't have the money to go out and fight for it. So yeah, the the, the option is always, of course, not to sell everything off, but instead to keep the, pros- the, the, the best players and buy um, but we, we kind of were, were told that wasn't going to happen from the start here. And I, I don't know, Theo Epstein did a ton of good stuff in Chicago with the Cubs, but uh, kind of left at the right time to not have to be the one to pick up the pieces of, of all these contracts coming up at the same time. Now, on the other side of this, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, just a reminder, everything sucks and baseball is over as of today. I just I hope you guys all got in your baseball. It's done now. It's so sorry. We don't we don't have baseball anymore. Um, but Buster only was on Get Up today and talked about some of the ways these trades uh, spin off. And one of them is, is Baez enough for the Mets to, to take their division? It may be because the Phillies are not a great team. They didn't make big dynamic moves. The Atlanta Braves have had all these injuries. And so that might be enough for the Mets. And Javier Baez is a great fit for New York. The Mets in this moment because he can play shortstop as long as Francisco Lindor is out. And then when Lindor comes back, he can slide to second base or he can slide to third base. Two positions he's played a lot in the bigs leagues. He's an excellent defender. He's very happy to be teamed with his old friend Lindor. Look, it's still the most important factor in the National League East is going to be 
the status of Jacob deGrom, but Baez was something the Mets needed to do. Steve Cohn, their owner, stepping up and giving up assets to get a really dynamic player. Quickly, Sarah, does that mean you root for these former Cubs no, as they go abs- to these other places? Oh, I mean, for them individually, yes. I'm not rooting for the Mets, and I'm definitely not <laughs> rooting for the Yankees. Here's what Buster said about the Yankees getting Rizzo. Yeah, Greeny, I think they are going to make the playoffs. I think that, you know, that vision they had during the offseason that they were going to score a ton of runs and make up for other deficiencies on the team, they can finally realize that now that they have Gallo and they have Rizzo. Think about the fun Aaron Boone is going to have in writing out that lineup card, mixing in Rizzo and Gallo among guys like Aaron Judge, like Giancarlo Stanton, like DJ LeMahieu. Yeah, Fitz, I will say, I love these guys enough for what they did for Chicago in this team that I will not just root for them to do well, but I will root for them to do so well that it will be painful every time we're reminded that we gave them up. And that is really big of me uh, because anybody else, I'd just say, yeah, be okay. Don't be too good. (laughs) Uh, Tune into an AL East battle tomorrow night as apparently baseball is still going to happen. The Rays are going to host the Red Sox tomorrow. Coverage begins at 530 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up, we had a draft last night, but the night was overshadowed by a huge story in the NBA world. We'll give you the Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise on all things NBA. Next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're trying to make it happy. We're doing our best. I might, you know, skip right ahead from the coffee to other things midway through the show. You'll never know. We'll see if I can make it through. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. We're going to get back to the baseball news of the day, and today, the day the baseball died. Uh, We'll also talk a little (laughs) Olympics and NFL, but... Last night, uh, Fitz, I don't know if you know this, the NBA draft happened. Uh, A lot of us were busy watching the Olympics or trying to figure out what part of a very disjointed NBA season cycle we were in. And as it turns out, it was the NBA draft. Uh, Not a lot of surprise at the top. Kate Cunningham going to the Detroit Pistons. Mostly happy for them, Fitz, because they get to erase the ghosts of number one picks past. Right, Darko Milicic just can be uh, someone that they continue to push further and further in the distance till we all kind of forget that that's what they did. And by all accounts, Cade Cunningham could be an all-star. We're already hearing connections to, you know, uh, comparisons to someone like Luka Doncic. So uh, for Detroit basketball, which has been hungry for relevance, uh, that was definitely a big moment for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you can look across. Jalen Suggs going to Orlando. A lot of people were Surprising, uh, yeah. uh, really looking at that. And, you know, it's a reminder that the NBA draft is so much about what flavor of ice cream you prefer and about how rosters are currently constructed, right? Like not every guy is right for every system and every team. So I feel like this is an annual conversation as we look at guys that, that fall a little farther than any of us expected. So, you know, Evan Mobley uh, going to Cleveland. Also, a lot of people were excited about that. So, you know, it's always tough, though. This is such a particular, the NBA draft, it feels like there's such a limited number of guys that are going to come in and make a day one impact. So the sales pitch isn't quite the same. This is like the annual conversation. But unlike the NFL draft where we've spent months obsessing over it, here we, we look at these guys and we shrug our shoulders and say, could be. That's about all we can say right now. I can't believe you skipped over Jalen Green, who went to the Rockets, not because of the talent, but because of the outfit, which I saw someone compare to Fran Lebowitz and then also to the Michael Jackson character in his video game. Uh, If you haven't seen it, it was uh, some sort of not suit material, boot cut, shiny silver with a lace shirt. 
And one of the things I look forward to is about a decade from now when we look back at this draft class and have content for days on whatever the equivalent of a sports blog is 10 years from now because uh, there were some very bold choices made that I think we're going to be talking about for years to come. (laughs) It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So the draft happened plenty to get into on that down the road, especially as we see these guys become a part of the teams they joined. But the bigger news, of course, was... Westbrook to the Lakers. Kenny Smith, TNT NBA analyst, was on KJNZ this morning talking about it. You've been hearing a lot about the Lakers trying to make one more push with for one more player of that caliber. So I wasn't really surprised, um, you know, especially with Washington, the way they're trying to rebuild or, or build. So I wasn't really surprised, but um, it, it does change the dynamic of that team, the way it was built, actually, that won the championship. Totally agree, Fitz, and I want to quickly get to Zach Lowe because I think Kenny Smith is right. None of us were surprised the Lakers are going to take a big swing to try to get some as much as they can out of the LeBron window, but the fit of Russ Westbrook has a lot of people asking questions. Zach Lowe, in fact, saying he would have rather seen the deal that was rumored for Buddy Heald. I don't love this for the Lakers. I would, I would rather, so I'm looking at an alternative where I could have Dennis Schroeder re-sign, Buddy Heald, keep KCP, maybe keep my pick. I'm probably doing that instead of Russ because it helps my depth and the shooting problems are going to be real. But look, the fact is we can talk about shooting and spacing and who's going to take the last shot and all this. These guys are three great players and talent and smarts and just all out ferocity can sometimes make up for not so great spacing. And the West does not have an overwhelming favorite anymore that you look at and say, you know, that's the team that's unbeatable. You know, Kawhi's injured, Jamal Murray's injured. So it's right there for the taking. They can still do it, but I don't love the fit. I would rather like that other fit with more shooting because here's one of the great axioms of LeBron's career. If LeBron is the best shooter on the floor, you haven't done a good enough job building around LeBron. Now, they'll get shooters. They'll probably bring back some of their own free agents. But the shooting is going to reach a critical level. And in the half court, this team's going to have to prove that it can score. But like like Perk is going to say, Russ is a great player. They're going to figure a lot of it out. And to me, the question is not just the, the, the spacing. Because the Lakers have played in bad spacing before. It's the volume of shots Russ takes and the volume of bad long twos he takes. Is he really going to commit to playing off the ball? Is he really going to set screens and cut and all that and not just stand around the three-point arc? Because we've heard that song before and we haven't seen it play out in real time. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, Sarah, the way that he broke it down. But I'd also say this. The Lakers are so pot committed to AD and LeBron at this point. They've just got to make the best of what they can moving forward. We all knew that Kuzma, KCP, Harrell, we knew that that wasn't going to be the future of the Lakers. So the question really became, in my mind, what were they going to be able to get for those guys that would give them the biggest return possible? Is that is Westbrook the best they could do? I mean, I don't love portions of it, but realistically, they were so dug deep in with AD and LeBron. I don't know that they had a lot of other options that were going to make them drastically better this year. It does make them better. I don't know if it makes them the best team in the conference. I don't know if it makes them the NBA champion, but it at least gives them in this window, the way they constructed their roster, a shot to come in and make some noise. Well, here's my issue with it. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Westbrook headed to the Lakers, the sort of new big three. Like, I imagine LeBron looking at this in the same image of his Miami team where, you know, Anthony Davis is the Bosch type, and now you've got Westbrook as your sort of Wade. It, it's not that they're that different, but they're pretty different. You've got a problem with shooting. You've got a problem with defense. You've got a problem, I believe, with chemistry and fit that I need to see in action before I'll believe it. Westbrook is a tremendous basketball player, but look no further than the U.S. men's Olympic team to find a ton of talent 
but struggles with chemistry and fit. The Lakers have no three-point shooters. LeBron's now the only Lakers player under contract who had more than 100 threes last season. The two teams that finished last season with only one player that had over 100 three-pointers were the Cavs and the Magic. Okay, That's not a model that you want to follow. So you've got no three-point shooting and you add a historically bad three-point shooter. You've got a team that was 24th in the league in jumpers last season, ranked 24th, and they added one of the historically worst jump shooters in the history of basketball, <laughs> right? Like you're you're leaning into your deficiencies. You're also allowing what we've seen in the past is that teams who are set up for a seven-game series against Westbrook find a way to take advantage of his issues. They either allow him to take the jump shots he can't make. They take advantage of his defensive issues. This is a fourth straight season that he is starting on a different team. He's an amazing player. Is he an amazing part of a winning team? We have not seen that yet. And I'm very concerned about... I'm not really concerned. I don't need the Lakers to win anything. I am interested to see how they will make this fit work. Well, and I also think to that end, the fact that we constantly say, oh, they'll put some shooters around him. That seems right. to be the narrative every year. Like those just pop out of, uh, of flower beds and then it's like, oh, this guy's <laughs> going to come play for no money here. Like it's never that simple. So I do think the Lakers have a lot of work to do. You're right. That's- and. Uh, and and also Frank Vogel's got a lot of work to do to figure out how to get that right. efficiency. Nobody I saw what else you did there, it. like shooting, like a shoot, like a plant shoot out of a yeah, flower see, bed. Right, I like. Thank you. See? I don't know if you were doing that on purpose, but I appreciate well, it. I mean, uh, by the way, Ben Simmons still not traded. Couldn't make a deal work last night, draft night. We'll see how they managed to package that up and see if they can find a home for him. Coming up, we'll talk to uh, someone about the U.S. Women's National Team and the fight on the field and off it. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Don't forget to tune in to the That's What She Said podcast. Hosted by Sarah Spain, fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support, support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Wherever, whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Sarah, just checking in. We're going to check in. Throughout. You doing okay? How, how are we? It's been, a, it's been a rough baseball day. I'm just making sure you're still with me. We're good. You feel good? I'm trying to remember the feelings I had this morning when the U.S. Women's National Team won in PKs and my Chicago Red Stars led the way again, and that's making me feel a little better. Look at that. See, we got a little love for that. We're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline to get some thoughts on the U.S. Women's National Team. And really, uh, one thing that we've talked a lot about on this show uh, when it comes to equality and equality in pay. So we are joined by Missy Park, CEO of the apparel company Title IX. Now, for anybody that hasn't uh, checked this out, Title IX is joining us. And what they're doing is really cool. They're making a donation of $1 million to ensure the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team is paid equal to their male counterparts, along with their donation. They launched the Kick In for Equal Pay initiative, encouraging individuals, communities, companies, and corporations to join their ongoing fight for equality. So, Missy, really uh, thankful that you've given us a little time. Talk to me about how you guys came to the decision to donate $1 million. Well, first of all, it was a very fast decision. We um, were, I was at home watching LFG, which is the documentary that chronicles the women's uh, soccer team's fight for equal pay. I came up in my feed and I was watching it at home and uh, the statistics in that movie and uh, the statistics and emotions really hit me hard. Um, and uh, at the time I realized like I was kind of mad, right? Like U.S. soccer, they're easy to demonize. But then I realized 
more importantly, I was kind of mad at myself and felt like, really, we could be doing more. And the great thing about it was, I, after watching that movie, I went into our team at Title IX and I said, you know, I think we could be doing more about this. We can step up as a corporate citizen um, and pay these women who are just a national treasure um, what their, or at least start to close the pay gap on what they're worth. So fortunately, our team, they're, they're all in on things like this, and we really pulled the whole company together and said, like, there's a lot of dough for our little company, but we felt it was important to take a stand on this issue of pay equality. So it's not just me, it's our entire team is behind this U.S. US Women's National Team, and we felt like a million bucks was a very small price to pay for the huge debt that we owe these women. Missy Park, the CEO and founder of Title IX Athletic Brand, is with us here on Spain and Fitz. It's interesting because it's sort of the same model a lot of us who are owners in the NWSL have, which is, you know, if we want to see this change and if we want to see these women and these leagues uh, succeed, we can be a part of that instead of just pushing for the powers that be, the federations, the existing owners to do better, which is why I got on board with the Chicago Red Stars. Now, I wonder, as you're, as you're trying to figure out this decision, and I'm very much on the side of, of, the, of the U.S. Women's National Team not being done right by the federation, but there are certainly those who push back from within about the contract differences between the men and women and the different... Uh, bonuses versus salaries versus benefits and all of that stuff. How deeply did you dive into that as you were making this decision, or did you just go more off the gut feeling of, of you know they're not being done right and that you wanted to be a part of their fight? Um, well, I started diving in deeply, and then I was like, whoa, got to get out of that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we did dive in pretty deeply, and I think – Really what I came back to was I know they're not being done right, and I can go through all the math like you can, like the U.S. Soccer Federation can. Um, But in the end, I know when I think about these athletes and the decades of activism that they have had, they have not been done right. Um, And I think what I want to be clear about with this is I felt like it was my personal responsibility, and we felt it was our personal responsibility as a company. It's like, oh, we're a small company. You know, if we can put in a million bucks, I like to challenge, God, us putting in a million bucks is like Nike putting in over half a billion. It'd be like <laughs> Procter & Gamble putting in almost a billion. So it's like, I'm not asking them to put in a billion, but if they can even come up with another few million, that'd be great. Um so I think we're really in it to sort of say, this is something that's important, and it's a change if we want it, we have to take the first steps. So I think that's where I came from on it. We're talking to Missy Park, CEO of the apparel company Title Nine, And, you know, Missy, to be clear, obviously Sarah and I are huge advocates and allies to what is happening here. Uh, also, though, I, I can't turn a blind eye to how divisive at times the activism of the women's team has been for some people. For you, as somebody running an entire brand, was there any concern about blowback from people uh, that, that, that have a perception on the activism? You know... <laughs> We're not that kind of company. I mean, we've been <laughs> doing this, you know, we've been doing this for 31 years. Um, we are not 
um, pay equality or let's talk about International Women's Day for a day or a season or a month or an ad campaign. This is what we do all day, every day. So if folks are going to be worried about it, they're probably not going to be a right set for working at Titan Line because that's what we are about. We are about women owning and risking and leading. And the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, holy smokes, there is no better example of folks who have led both on and off the soccer pitch. I love that approach. And I was on a call with the Association of Women's Sports Media yesterday, and we all kind of said we got to the point where we're just going to have to start breaking stuff. That is, of course, a euphemism. It's not a literal thing we're going to do. But I, I'm with you on the I, I don't need to play both sides. If you don't want to be here because you don't believe in Title IX itself, literally, or the clothing brand that's based on the ideals of it and run by female executives and features you know, female athletes in the ad campaigns and fights for female athletes, cool, then go do your thing. I'm not going to worry about the, you and, and play both sides, though, and I think there's a lot of women around the space of women's sports that have kind of gotten to that breaking point, and I think it makes it a much more powerful push when you stop trying to appeal to those and instead just say, we're going to leave them behind. There isn't really space for them in the future, and I, so I appreciate that answer. Hey, Missy, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to ask you quickly, and Missy's the CEO of, of the apparel company Title IX, you also have, in addition to your big give, um, um, a request for others to join in. You're going to match up to $250,000, uh, the kick in for equal pay initiative. So that's kind of asking anybody else if they want to do what you just did, right? It sure is. And we just actually got another $25,000 donation today from a small brand, Toad & Co. Um, and, both, and I'm like, wow, all these small brands are kick, kicking up. Uh, Wild Rye, another small brand, Crimson Clover. Boy, they're setting such a great example, and every single one of them that kicks in for equal pay, we're going to match it. So it's basically double. So come on, Nike, write that million-dollar check. Uh, That's what I'm saying. (laughs) You guys can check out Title9.com, easy way to see how to get involved. Missy, great work by you guys, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your efforts and what you're trying to accomplish. Hey, thanks a lot for taking the time. I really appreciate it, y'all. That's Missy Park, CEO of the apparel company Title Nine. Really cool stuff, by the way. I, I, I honestly, Sarah, I wasn't familiar with the company. I looked at it. And it's really cool stuff. So uh, everybody, get out of Title Nine dot com is easy way to check it out. It's brought. We're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. All right, coming up, a cursed quarterback, a clueless receiver. We've got NFL news and <laughs> notes. We'll get you caught up on next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And I'll tell you right now, this is the worst time uh, when it comes to fear of just what it means to your season when you're an NFL fan and you hear anything about quarterbacks. Because mm. realistically, very little news is ever good news. So uh, you're going to hear, oh, this quarterback's struggling, or even worse, this quarterback is hurt. And that's exactly what Colts fans are dealing with now as Carson Wentz has injured himself. His foot was injured at the end of practice on Thursday. Uh, Sarah, this is what Adam Schefter, ESPN NFL, insider said about how serious the injury is. Well, Ryan, here's the very latest. The Colts and Carson Wentz are waiting for Dr. Robert Anderson in Green Bay to review the scans of Carson Wentz's foot that was sent to him, and that should happen here in a short period of time. Once Dr. Anderson can review those scans, 
they will make a determination of how much time Carson Wentz will miss. I'm told it's not expected to be season ending right now. He is expected to be out indefinitely. The Colts don't know exactly how long that will be, but it'll be some period of time. And during that time, Carson Wentz will miss the reps and the snaps he would have gotten gotten used to working with a new offense, new receivers. They were hoping that that would help him this summer. Obviously, that's going to be out the window, and they're hoping that the damage to his foot isn't extensive right now, but they are awaiting word. Somebody Just, continues to say, well, they don't think it's season-ending. Like, right. how did we get there? We went from a twinge in his foot when he rolled out and planted to out indefinitely to we don't think it'll be season-ending as of now. Just... It feels pretty serious, right? Um, usually a completely unknown injury that we aren't given any information on is, you know, he's day-to-day or we expect a couple of weeks. But the idea that they're throwing out there even the possibility, even to deny the, the possibility of missing an entire season is wildly scary. Um, interesting to note, by the way, that you remember that part of this deal with uh, Wentz and the Eagles uh, really depends on how well he performs, Um and so this could be a huge blow if he is not able to perform and play it long enough, right? Um, first of all, we have the foot. We also have the not being vaccinated. So if that takes him out for any significant amount of time. But he has to play at least 75% of the Colts' snaps um, or 70% in the playoffs. And then that conditional 20, 2022 second-round pick that the Eagles get for him turns into a first-round pick. So they want him to play well, and they want him to play a lot. That's very much in danger with a foot injury and add on to that, of course, the vaccination issue. It's such a communication thing to me. And, you know, as a as a dog lover yourself, you'll appreciate this many years ago when we still had uh, Winnie and Samantha and uh, the older dogs. And at the time when he was acting a little funny, she was probably eight, nine years old. So took her to the vet that we had at the time and the vet came out, you know, 10 minutes later and said, okay, we're not going to have to put her down, but, and that's how she started the conversation. And it turned out that she wasn't even that sick. It was just that that's how that vet started the conversation. And as we left, and of course, at that point, Sonny and I were both just bawling because it, it wasn't even the mindset, right? Turns out the dog was totally fine. Immediately changed vets because you just don't communicate <laughs> that way. I keep looking at, at the number, not just Shefty, but the number of people I've seen across the landscape over the last few hours that have been reporting about Carson Wentz. And everyone keeps echoing that same, we don't think it's going to be season-ending sentiment. It just feels like they're trying to brace everybody for a longer-term issue. You know, that, that we're in, in the opening days of training camp and having real conversations about what it could mean to the percent of snaps tells you this can't be good. I mean, uh, I, I think the, the smart thing there that you just pointed out that has to be reiterated is that if they don't think it's a big deal, they always start with a, hey, no big deal, day-to-day, little soreness, we're sure he's fine, we don't know why it's not healing. Like, there's all of these steps. We've skipped all of that to we don't think it's season-ending. I think that's uh, incredibly significant. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. That's not the only significant news, as you mentioned vaccinations. That's going to be part of the conversation for every team, but particularly for the Bills, as Cole Beasley might be the most, uh, might be, let's say, the loudest of any person when it comes to current NFL players and how they feel about not getting the vaccine. Now, remembering that there are different rules for teams that haven't been vaccinated to certain levels, that the training requirements are different, and every team is trying to figure out how to navigate 
the ways to differentiate players that are and aren't vaccinated. Cole Beasley has been asked about it and is going to continue to be asked about this because he has been so vocal in the process. This is what he said about what his main issue is with the way information is getting to everyone. The issue at hand is information is being withheld from players in order for a player to be swayed in a direction he may not be comfortable with. Some people may think that I'm being selfish and making this a me thing. It is all about the young players who don't have a voice and are reaching out to me every day because they're being told if they don't get vaxxed, they'll be cut. Let's hear a little bit more really quick because I have something to say, but it relates to the second part, too. Agents are being told by teams if they have unvaccinated guys, they will not be given opportunities as of now to be seen in workouts. So once unvaxxed players get cut, they're losing a dream they have worked their whole lives for over a vaccine that has proven to not keep people from contracting COVID as we've seen. Okay, so let me just start by saying, I'd like to try to give as much of a benefit of the doubt as I can to someone who later on talks about how health is very important to him, but the health of his lifetime beyond and after football, which would lead me to think that he has concerns about long-term effects of the vaccine. I I hope that he's also being educated on the already proven long-term effects of COVID long haulers, because there are no expectations for the vaccine to cause issues long-term, like so many other vaccines that we've all grown up being used to that we were required to take in order to go to school and other things that we've been built into our society the same way that this one now will be. Um, I think the concern for me, Fitz, is twofold. One is that what he said at the end there about not wanting to take a vaccine that's proven to not keep you from getting it. That was never a promise. The fact that he said that lets you know that he has not taken the time to get educated on how vaccines work. They do not prevent you from getting COVID. They help you be more likely to avoid getting it. And when you do get it, if you do, you are much better able to fight it off. It's sort of like, as I read in a story, like a castle that gets a surprise attack and has two dogs outside. Those two dogs aren't going to be able to do much against this big attack. But if you called an hour in advance and said, hey, by the way, you're going to get attacked in an hour. Now you've got the dogs. Now you've got the guards at the door. Now you've got the barricades. Now you've got everything ready and waiting. That's what a vaccine does. It introduces things into your system that when that reappears in the form of an actual virus, which is not in the vaccine, then your body says, wait, I've seen this sort of thing before. Here's how I'm going to take care of it quickly and safely and I'm going to be ready to shut it down before it can do any serious damage. The fact that he said as if we were supposed to think that it prevented you from getting it tells me right off the bat he hasn't done the research. Then he says information's being withheld from players so now he's essentially trying to persuade others to believe that they're being lied to, which is not the case. He might not like that information. He might believe a YouTube video or an anti-vaxxer site that he read instead of every single expert across the globe that is vaccinating every country and person regardless of politics, background, ethnicity, race, religion, whatever. But to try to convince a bunch of other players that they're being lied to because he hasn't done the research to understand is incredibly dangerous. It also begs the question of how his own union feels about it. You know, I, I continue to look at the, the, the Players Association and say, okay, their job is to fight for representing every player in the league. I mean, what do we see constantly? If a player 
uh, is busted cheating, the union still has to defend that person. That's part of the process of it, right? Like the union is there to defend every single player in every single sport. That's part of what they collectively bargain. If he thinks that there's mass misinformation going out, then that's really, to me, also speaking to what he believes the union isn't doing for him as an employee. If I'm Demora Smith, the head of the NFL Players Association, I'm bothered by that, you know, because the concept now is going to be that you think that not only are we not fighting, but we're not giving you the correct information. And, and you know, is there some point where, as he says, agents are being told players that aren't vaccinated would lose out? I'm sure, because you've got to look at some of the, the basic math. Like, if I ran a team, available. <laughs> would, would I bring in a player that I know I have to quarantine for longer because they're not vaccinated, that can't train with everybody else because it changes my weight room? Like, I think it's okay to have that real conversation and so I, I don't I don't see why we would fault the GM for doing what's best for their team ultimately and why he believes the union isn't protecting him. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and I do think this is going to be an issue. They're also he's thrown out a whole lot of receipts. If this Bills team has issues this season, if he remains on the roster, they have outbreaks. He's a part of it. Everything he's throwing out there reminds me of the very tragic things we're seeing all too often on social media of someone who posted about it being a hoax or how they weren't getting vaccinated. And then a week later, their family member comes on to say that they passed away and they really hope everyone listens and gets vaccinated. I mean, it's not that serious, but I'm saying that's the kind of receipts you pay for later. Well, nobody's going to stop asking him, so we'll see how he continues to handle it. Coming up, a huge story involving the Mets that has nothing to do with Javier Baez. We'll update you next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It has been an incredibly busy day in baseball. Almost everything bad has happened to me and my Cubs, but some good things for some other teams, I guess, teams that still want to try to win and believe that baseball is still something they care about (laughs) and that exists. It's dead to me. But we got to talk about all the other stuff and a big blow to the Mets. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and longtime national MLB writer and New York Times contributor Scott Miller joins us. Brought to you by Samsung Galaxy. You won't be able to go back to mediocre after this. Are you ready for this life? Find out at Samsung.com slash reserve. I feel like that ad was talking to me. Um, I am going back to mediocre. I'm not ready for this life. I'm deeply deeply struck by the moves of today but scott let's start with something that's maybe as sad as my cubs team and that's the news on jacob Degrom. tell us what you know yeah and uh sarah jason nice to be with you uh, by the way that ad how how appropriate on trade deadline day you know cell phone cell phone cell phone uh right with (laughs) with the gms the way they've been working uh jacob (laughs) Degrom. yeah bad news for the mets i mean you know everybody's excited about javi baez coming to town but you know, it wasn't long after the trade deadline, the Mets announced, you know, that Jacob deGrom has some swelling in that flexor tendon uh, that has been troubling him some this year. The swelling uh, is, has gotten a little worse. They're shutting him down. They don't expect he'll be back until September. Uh, and that is a really, really worrisome uh, uh, moment for the Mets. Also, because they say they don't expect him back till September. You know how that goes. I mean, I think we're, I don't want to be an alarmist here, but I, I think based on what we heard today about Jacob deGrom, uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me if we don't see him until next season now. So the Mets are going to have to figure some things out. So stick there for a second, Scott. If he doesn't play at all this season for the rest of the year, how good can the Mets be? Yeah, not as uh, not nearly as good as otherwise. I mean, again, Javi Baez, I think I like the addition. Um Baez, I think, is going to be re-energized in, in New York under that spotlight. 
And, and I love the relationship between him and Francisco Lindor. I think those two are going to make each other better. So I really think we're going to see a better Lindor down the stretch. Obviously, he's been spotty or, you know, he's been disappointing in New York. Uh, no secret there. But I think his best days are ahead of him. I think Baez and Lindor are, are going to help. I like the addition of Rich Hill a couple of weeks ago. Gamer, veteran, knows how to uh, outsmart the opposing lineups. But still, man, you take away Jacob deGrom, it is going to be an uphill struggle for the Mets, uh, you know, more, t- more every fifth day for sure when, when he could have been pitching. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Scott Miller on the Goodyear Hotline, longtime national baseball writer and contributor to the New York Times. Uh, yeah, the pe- people feeling, you know, other than the, the DeGrom news, optimistic about the Mets. Where do you sit on the Yankees? Uh, a lot of people thought that Rizzo was going to go more Red Sox, would be a better fit there. He ends up there, um, and then they get um, Gallo. What do, you, what do you make of the moves, and is it enough? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, in, thir- in third place, you know, the Mets or the Yankees are playing from behind, no doubt. They did, I think, first of all, it was interesting that they were buyers and, and they opted not to sell. You know, when, when about three or four days ahead of the trade deadline, you know, Brian Cashman basically said we could go either way here. You know, we, we, you know and then the Yankees won a couple games. They decided to be buyers. They, they, they did one thing they needed to do which was balance their lineup. They're, they were so right-handed heavy. And in adding two big lefty sticks, Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo, um, you know, both those guys, I mean, you've heard, you know, we all talk, we always talk on and on about that short right field porch at Yankee Stadium. And, and you know, lefties are in such demand. It balances out the lineup. Um, you know, the, the one thing that I'm still concerned with with the Yankees, though, is they've got so many strikeouts in that lineup. And Joey Gallo is only going to add more strikeouts. And, you know, Rizzo's on-base percentage is, is, is usually pretty good. Not as many strikeouts with him. But, you know, they're just they're one-dimensional. They're going to, and it's no secret, I guess, you know, they're, they're going to look to win by bludgeoning the other team. And they're, they're going to come at you with a ton of strikeouts and hope to put a few balls over the fence every night. They're not that good defensively they're not great on the bases you know Joey Gallo does bring some athleticism he he can run a little bit for a big guy six five you know he's he's quicker than you would think uh so he'll help a little bit athletically but I I think the Yanks are are still too one-dimensional and I think you know Boston's rotation in the last month has started to show signs of wear and tear so I, I don't I'm not saying Boston Boston is invincible or even Tampa Bay but um, Yankees are one-dimensional and interesting moves, really, by every, all of the contenders in the American League East, including Boston, Tampa Bay, and Toronto. We're talking to Scott Miller, longtime national baseball writer, New York Times contributor on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Scott, if you look at all the moves that we've seen over the last couple of days, realistically, is there one move that stands out to you that you say, yep, that is a World Series caliber move for a World Series contender? Well, I hate to be obvious, you know, I'll start there, though. I mean, you know, the Dodgers, that, that, that was a, acquiring Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in the same uh, trade from the Nationals. That, that's a statement trade. There's no doubt about it, especially, I mean, you know, they've had a struggle this year to, to try to keep their guys on the field. Mookie Betts is on the injured list right now. Um, Corey Seager is just activated for tonight's game in Arizona. It'll be the first time he's played in almost three months. They, they've not been 
really the Dodgers haven't been the Dodgers all year because they've been missing guys. And, of course, you know, the just utterly disgusting Trevor Bauer situation. I don't know that we're going to be seeing him anymore uh, this year. I don't think the Dodgers think they're going to see him anymore, which is why Max Scherzer's there. Um, But, you know, Scherzer, obviously I don't have to go on and on about him to you guys, uh, about what he can do not only during the regular season but in October. So, I mean, that's a big move. But, you know, I like the the Giants countering – with, with right before the deadline today with like five minutes to spare, you know, adding Chris Bryant from the Chicago Cubs. I like that move for that team because, you know, Bryant can play left field. He can, you know, Evan Longoria has been injured some this year. Bryant can play third if they need to give Longoria a day off or, or two. Uh, first base. I mean, he can move around the diamond. He's a gamer. Mm-hmm. He can play center field. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bryant is really going to help the Giants team, and I think that National League West race is going to be a lot of fun down the stretch. He can really do it all, and he's won at the highest levels of everything he's ever participated yeah. in. Uh, he really he really is an excellent player for them to pick up, and he will be greatly missed. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I'm not okay, guys. I'm trying my best, but I'm not cool. Uh, before we let you go, and we're talking to Scott Miller of the New York Times and longtime national baseball writer, um, the Dodgers, like, if I'm a fan of the Dodgers, I like the fact that they're still going for it. Despite the fact they now have 17 All-Stars, I think a combined eight Cy Youngs and eight MVPs or something ridiculous. Uh, not players, but the actual trophies and awards yeah. cumulatively yeah. among the players who are there. they got more hardware. More, more hardware than Ace Hardware stores. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a lot. If I'm a fan, I'm happy that they didn't rest on, well, we made it a couple years all the way to the end, and then we finally won it so we can sit back and make you pay for merch and, sh- and show up. But for the rest of baseball, it's not really great when you're $65 million above the Yankees' payroll, right? Yeah, and, and, and you know who agrees with you 100% on that, Sarah? I, I guarantee you today is the San Francisco Giants. The San Diego Padres, right, right. the Colorado Rockies, and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, no, it th- that is a beast. I mean, and, and look how motivated they remain. And and you mentioned it yourself, Sarah, just a bit ago about how sad you are about what the Cubs did today. You know, breaking that thing up with Chris Bryant and 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 Anthony Rizzo and and Javi Baez. And yet, here are the Dodgers who have won eight consecutive National League West titles. This is going back before the Cubs' 2016 World Series year. The Cubs' run's already over. Dodgers have won eight division titles in a row. And to your point, they are not giving an ounce when it comes to aggressiveness. I mean, they're three games behind the San Francisco Giants into tonight. And they are pedal to the metal. They're like, oh, well, we don't want to, you know, how dare they take the division. We don't want to, you know, we, we want to win a ninth division title row. So, boom, we're going to go yeah. get Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, and ra- ratchet up the payroll. Yeah, I mean, I agree Dodgers. with you. I will say that the Cubs weren't winning the division every year. That was the problem, right? They were expected right. to after the World Series. Yep. Unfortunately, they tried to keep that core. They added you. They added Kimbrell. They added a handful of people. And then they were like, all right, we gave it a shot. This ain't going to work. And, and so I'm not so much angry and I think it's at apples to oranges a bit but to, to my to my point sure. and yours the Dodgers certainly could have said okay we've given you enough and they haven't they just keep adding we'll see if it works out they do have a little bit of an uphill climb here hey thanks for the time Scott really appreciate it thanks Scott always fun talking baseball with you guys take care thank you Scott Miller with us here on Spain and Fitz coming up we're gonna do some Olympic quickies Spain and Fitz the podcast
We're powering through what's been a tough day for resident Cubs fan and co-host extraordinaire Sarah Spain on Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz, Sarah Spain, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. So, you know, in an effort to provide a little distraction from uh, this sport that I've heard of in the past called baseball, I'm not, I, I think it's over, Sarah. I think the whole, the whole season's done. It's done. Don't, it's done. You know, it, it, how about them bears? Like, there's so many things we can go to. But before we get to any of that goodness, I figured the best way we can bring in some positivity is with a little bit of fun around some Olympics. So why don't we do some Olympics quickie style? Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Now, it's easy to have fun looking back at the way the day started for the U.S. women's national team because they avoided elimination. But it was not without drama, as I would say most of these Olympics have been for many of our teams that we thought would come in and just be able to coast. It has been everything that you could want in the sense of dramatic outcomes that the U.S. managed to win. Facing the Netherlands in the knockout (laughs) round, the Americans fell behind early. They answer. They end up having to go to penalty kicks. That's how they win it. Sarah, your level of puckered up was <laughs> very very puckered you said it right like exactly the kind of drama you want as long as they win in the end if they hadn't it would have been just gutting this is a team that um is getting caught up to certainly by other countries and is also paying the price of some of its own mistakes couple players megan rapino and regulation abby Dahlkemp, are just don't look super sharp and i'm hoping they will find their way to their usual strengths uh as we get deeper into this tournament hopefully they have the opportunity to continue to do so They also have an unbelievable nine goals taken away over the course of this Olympics to offsides calls. And, you know, I want to talk to someone who's more of an expert in the strategy, but it sure feels like the teams they're playing are really pressing up on defense to try to make it really difficult and have to be perfectly timed in order to get over the top of the defense. And I've never seen a team with this many goals taken away on offsides in such a short number of games. And so that's something the the U.S. also has to figure out their timing on those plays and Man, Alyssa Nair was huge. There was one goal in the regulation that she probably could have stopped and should have stopped, but she more than made up for it with the stop she made in PKs. And I just want to point out as a very, very proud Chicago Red Stars co-owner that the last three U.S. Women's National Team matches were all Red Stars were player of the match. It was Julie Ertz, Tierna Davidson, and then today it was Alyssa Nair. So uh, really the spine of the team holding it up is uh, your very own Chicago Red Stars. Look, that's reason number one to be incredibly excited. Also, I've decided that there's just, I don't know that there's anything more dramatic than penalty kicks in general. Like, there's just something <laughs> so about stressful. the entire, like, as somebody that, yeah, I, I mean, as somebody that is a, a fan of su- such non traditional, like, I'll, I'll take penalty shots at the end of a hockey game, like, as long as it's not a playoff game, I, I'm, I'm all in for it. But there's just something different about it. It feels like the goalie is so isolated with no chance that when they actually are able to get a stop, it is the biggest, like, collective roar. I don't know. I could take that all day, every day. Let's go to the next story on the Olympics with some more quickies. Quickies. And this comes in the form of something new. And I didn't know this was happening, Sarah. I am super excited. Tonight in primetime, everybody will see it for the first time. We have mixed 4x100 medley relays in swimming. So for the first time, uh, we have uh, two men and two women on one team together that will be swimming in the relay races together in the Olympics. In fact, they're also going to do this in track and field with the mixed 4x400. Yeah, I, was four by say, I just learned I love that as well. this. 
Yeah, yeah I'm all I in. had no idea about any of this. This is so much fun. Actually, some drama for the U.S. on the track side of the first mixed relay as um, they won more than two seconds ahead of the second team. And then they were disqualified for violating a handoff rule, which has then now been taken away. They are back and reinstated after they decided uh, due to a filing of a protest uh, that, that it was actually a, an issue with the, uh, you know, with, with the uh uh, official on the track so they are still in the race which is good but Fitz I've never thought about this before but it is such a smart idea we really only see mixed doubles in something like tennis but the relays and swimming and track to showcase the best of both sides is, is fantastic yeah I think it's going to be interesting to see a lot of strategy all the way down to which swimmers swim which legs obviously so uh, it'll right. be fun to watch that tonight and see how we do in that let's keep the quickies moving quickies and this comes with the strangest story that uh, I think we'll give anybody out uh, right now. Australian men's basketball team will now have to uh, play in the Olympics without Raptors center Aaron Baines. He fell in the bathroom, which then aggravated an on-the-court injury he suffered during Wednesday night's win over Italy. So he suffered, I guess, a neck injury and then uh, slipped in the bathroom and fell, which made his injury Worse, and now he is out. That is the strangest, like, slip and fall that we've heard in this Olympics, for sure. Yeah, we usually call these, I think, uh, baseball injuries, or what's there's a, there's a there's a term for it. I'm blanking on right now. Um, uh, oh, in in Chicago, it's cubby occurrences, which is you know Ryan Dempster tripping, trying to celebrate by jumping over the top of the dugout and breaking his foot or whatever, or things like that. Uh, we we of course remember some famous ones in other sports, like Carlos Boozer who tripped on a bag, but it turned out he really punched a wall. I'm not saying that Aaron Baines did something else. It's just the idea of. These injuries that significantly affect your time on the field uh, by something that happens off of it. Um, that's heartbreaking for him, though. Um, had to actually get taken to a local hospital after the fall. Um, and he's going to need a couple weeks to recover, so that takes him out for the Olympics. Uh, it's a heartbreaking Friend of the show, really sure. good dude, too. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and, and the, it's just such a freak, strange way to go down when everything has already been so strange for NBA players in general. So hopefully a quick recovery. Let's move on to the next story. Quickies. Well, this is a heavy story coming out uh, as and, and an important story as three of the four fencers from our team wore pink masks in a move to be in protest, it appears, of the fourth member of the team, Alan Hadzik. For anyone that hasn't seen, he's been accused of sexual mo- misconduct by multiple women, is still with the Olympics, but they're keeping him in a separate uh, area from the rest of the Olympic athletes so that he doesn't pose a danger to anyone while they work all of it out. But he is still there despite all of these allegations. So staggering moment to see everybody but him wearing pink masks in support uh, of uh, women and, and sexual misconduct that he's been alleged of, sir. Yeah, Fitz, if you haven't read this story, go find it in its entirety. It's a twisty and long tale of multiple accusations, many witnesses to uh, women coming out of his room distraught, to friends having dropped off other friends, and then shortly thereafter returning to find women that had been left alone with this fencer um, in tears and, and immediate reports of all of this. And, you know, when he qualified back in May, there were three women that came out, and then he had already been suspended for a school year from Columbia University after an investigation into a previous sexual consent issue. Um, so he was suspended by Safe Sport, and then they decided that, you know, after an appeal, they would send him. But like you said, they're they're keeping him separate from everybody. The idea that it would be enough to say we don't think he's safe 
to stay in the Athlete Village. He has to be in another hotel, but he's safe enough that we're still going to bring him along. Um, and this protest from the, the other members of the team is very strong. Um, and I, I just it's, it's a pretty disgusting thing to see him out there representing our country when even the members of his own team don't want him there. And kudos to the fencing community that has been loud about this throughout, not letting this go. Uh, I love them seeing their use their platform. All right, we're going to talk to Air Blake McFarland, former pitcher. He's on the show making it. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Joining us now in a stroke of perfect timing is someone that represents the thing that might be the only thing, in addition to Ted Lasso, that could save me tonight on this terrible day of days. The only problem is he is affiliated with baseball, which I've decided to pretend doesn't exist for a while. <laughs> But we won't let that get in the way of this interview. Blake McFarlane from Making It, former pitcher, spent eight seasons with the Blue Jays organization uh, before becoming a sculptor and artist and making it to one of my favorite shows of all time. And Blake, I'm a Cubs fan. I was a Cubs fan. I don't really know how I feel about anything at all right now. So I'm glad you're here to make me feel better about life, just the way that everyone on Making It does. Let's talk about you making your way from being an athlete your whole life to Getting into painting and crafting, I know it happened while you were still competing. It wasn't even a post-career decision. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I kind of grew up, obviously sports and baseball was my main priority. But whenever I was bored, you know, my dad had just a collection of tools in the workshop. And I would just tinker around and build things basically for fun. And that kind of kept transpiring until I was a little bit older and I began painting. Um, and then I kind of dedicated all of my off season when I was playing uh, to my art. Instead of, you know, doing baseball lessons, I would actually do paintings and sculptures and sell that uh, for my off season. And flash forward to now, uh, now that I'm not playing baseball anymore, I am now a full-time artist. and I do sculptures uh, full-time, and it's a lot of fun. So, Blake, you know, I kind of walked the opposite journey in my life. I was a musician and had a passion for sports, and it got me to where I am now. But one thing they always asked me when I started making the transition was any concern about burning out. Like, when you spend your whole life trying to be a great musician, you eventually, in my experience, you just wake up one day and you're sort of done. Did you have any concern after a lifetime of baseball of making your your passion of art a career that, you know, it would it would in some ways dull your passion? Um, that's a really good question. And we do have kind of similar stories going the opposite directions. Um, for me, I always knew base like baseball has to end, right? I mean, you're going to be, it does, uh, I mean, Blake. today's the day it ended today. today. Baseball ended today, Mark today. Uh, so, you know, I, I knew that the baseball has to end and, and what am I going to do? once that's over. So art was really an outlet for me, especially when I got injured and rehab for two years that, Hey, I want to do this full time. I am passionate about this just as much as I was baseball. So that's kind of how that kind of correlated for me. Blake McFarland from the NBC show making it is with us here on Spain and Fitz. If you haven't watched it, honestly, what are you doing with your life? It is just a delightful collection of humans of different artistic backgrounds coming together with a host uh, duo of Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman giving you dad jokes and and joy. Um, and I want to ask about hanging out with those two because I'm obsessed with Parks and Rec. I like anything that Mike Schur does, and he works a lot with those two. Um, and I, I want to be best friends with them in life. So tell me, what was it actually like to just spend time with them, even in the moments between filming or, or things that didn't make the cut? Absolutely. And 
and like you, I am huge, was huge fans of them before meeting them and being on the show. And you don't know what to expect when you see these people, right? Like close up and you're like, first off starstruck, but then you quickly realize that they are the exact people that you think they would be, if not even better. Uh-huh. Like, like <laughs> they were just hilarious. And there's so much things that didn't make the cut that just had us on the floor dying. And I mean, they would say stuff that, you know, wouldn't be a pro, like, that you know wouldn't make the show, and it was just them. And it was really cool to see who they truly are, and they they meet, they met and exceeded all my expectations. It was so fun. I know, Blake, that uh, it was the show that reached out to you. How did that help sort of your validation for this entire move and, and feeling like you belong in that community? Um, you know, it, it did give me some validation for sure. I mean, I, uh, I w- obviously watched the first two seasons and I, I thought, you know, I, first off, I love this show and I would love to be on it. And then I kind of got on it as, as a weird way, you know, a producer just reached out to me and, and it just worked. But um, just being on the show and being seeing the other makers and, and how they work and their ideas, it's just it's just a, a such a fun and, and learning experience for me just, just to learn how all these other makers do their passion. And, and I just tried to take it in and just learn as much as I could along the way. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Making It Crafter Blake McFarland, former pitcher for the Blue Jays for eight seasons and now full-time artist. You know, part of the reason the show is so joyful, and I mention it alongside Ted Lasso, is because there's a decency to it. Everybody lifts each other up. And I bet in the first season, maybe there was a little needing to explain to the cast members, you are here to make friends. We aren't playing any reality TV BS where you're supposed to, like, cut each other at the knees. But by now, it's been on yeah. a couple seasons. I imagine they don't have to spend as much time. They assume you guys have watched it and know that, you know, part of the show's intent is to be, you know, a community that supports each other. But were there ever moments behind the scenes that don't make the final cut where someone's mad or frustrated or pissed that somebody else won and they didn't because um, it doesn't seem possible to have it be a competition and yet have everyone be so nice to each other all the time yeah that's that's the crazy thing and honestly there there was nothing like against anyone else winning but what i can tell you is there was a ton of frustration with just trying to finish things in the time frame um, I mean, I was super frustrated a lot of times when, you know, things don't go working according to plan. And um, so definitely there wasn't like we were all just super happy for each other and just happy and excited to be there. But all the frustration was actually like on each of our projects. It's really you against yourself on the show more than you against the other makers. With that being said, when you walked away from it, is there an area where you felt like you found something that you wanted to integrate into your day-in and day-out art? Definitely. I actually made an uh, American flag out of baseballs that I've never done before. That it was, was the awesome. first time I did it. So, and I actually kind of want to incorporate that into more sculptures and kind of murals. I think it'd be cool to actually do some really large-scale um, work with with baseballs or even any other kind of sporting equipment. I think that'd be kind of cool. I, I was thinking perhaps you were going to steal some of the tricks of others where, um, you know, always using the same particular uh, particular materials or, you know, something that you had never thought of before. Because there's certainly some folks on this season that, I mean, they're doing stuff with, with materials I've never even thought of before. 
Absolutely. Like um, Adam does a lot of acrylic and that's a material that I've never even worked with or even thought about using. And that's actually really, really intriguing is, is I didn't even realize that acrylic came in different colors and all that. So that is definitely a material uh, that I want to look into further. And then Kara just does amazing things with foam. She can make oh, that's what I was trying to think of. My brain wasn't giving me. I'm like, what's the woman that always does the thing? With, and it was foam. It was unreal. Yeah. yeah, she's amazing with foam. She can make foam look like anything. So what's your process like? I'm always curious with this because, you know, again, in music, I can watch somebody do something and think, all right, I'm going to replicate that. And six months later, I feel like I have it. In sports, in sports talk, I can listen to somebody. When you see an artist do something, like how do you start to take that and say, okay, I want to I use elements of it, but I still want to make it mine? That's always tough. Um, I think you can either kind of take what they do and then work it into your own idea. Or maybe it's just a material that they work and you're like, Hey, they do this, this wood joint this way. Like maybe I could do it that way or something like that. You don't really just copy them, but you could take a part of what they do and really incorporate it into a new area uh, that you want to go and something that you think would be, would be really good and, and work well. Speaking of wood joints, I want that door that you made somewhere in your actual life. Please tell me that you have that door in existence at your place. <laughs> I don't, but I could definitely make one again. All right. <laughs> it, was too big, at, um, it was too big to ship home. <laughs> uh, last question for you, because we were talking about the, the sport that used to exist that people liked that was played on a diamond that's dead to me now. It's called and baseball. You, you, no, it's dead to me now. It okay. ended okay, today, so remember? Just, yeah, um, sorry, but, but Blake, you're a former pitcher with the Blue Jays. And strangely enough, another cast member is Dave Kingman's son, a Dave Kingman who played for a baseball. Oh, no, I said the word a team that doesn't exist anymore because it died today. Um, did you guys have a chance when you weren't making uh, crafts and things to talk about about baseball at all? For sure. I talk to Adam all the time, and, and he actually just lives like – for, he lives in Lake Tahoe, so pretty close oh, nice. to me, actually. Yeah, uh, we, we got to talk a lot. I mean, just kind of his upbringing and how baseball was a big part of his life. And then, obviously, everything um, about his dad and, like, how everything worked. And and just, you know, we, we related a lot. And it was just really cool to have someone else on the show uh, that could relate and, like, knows about baseball. And, and it was just or, – sorry, sorry, not baseball. Uh, not baseball, the thing that, that people used to do. Sports used to be at the yeah. America's pastime and now it died and it's dead forever. Uh, Blake, America. thanks for coming on <laughs> and thanks for being a part of one of my favorite shows of all time. That brings me joy that will probably be binged later tonight with many, many, many bottles of wine. Uh, and thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> thanks Blake. We appreciate hey, it. Thanks so much for having me guys. I really appreciate it. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You know what, Sarah? It, it, she's Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, I, I feel it. I feel it. Uh, everybody's got their eyes on the Cubs, by the way. Uh, Major League Baseball, what to watch for. The disappearing Chicago Cubs. Everybody's got a cousin from Boston mm-hmm. who forgets their wallet at dinner, but never forgets a sixer of refreshing Sam Adams. Cheers to that. The Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass. Save with the flavor responsibly. Uh, Sarah, Like I feel like you, that friend should not be around you tonight. Like All of your friends should bring you as much fun alcohol as possible <laughs> obviously yes i should just be showered with booze for the foreseeable future and drown my sorrows 
Well, I, and I think there's one guest we could bring in that might be able to help with that. I'll let you do the introduction because it feels better this way. Yeah. It, you know, when certain people come on the show, you should get to introduce them. I agree with you. This is the first time this person has ever requested an appearance, so obviously the pressure's on to produce. It is, in fact, Mr. Spain, a.k.a. <laughs> my husband, Brad oh. Zabung. The heckler, Brad Zabung. Uh, Brad, oh. you requested an appearance on the show. I know you love being called Mr. Spain. It really only happens at hotels yeah. and events. Yeah, um, it feels like we're checking in a ho- at a hotel right now that we booked with your points or something where they just assume <laughs> that I'm Mr. Spain. And yeah. you love every minute of it. I, if I had known you were going to intro me that way, I probably wouldn't even have suggested this. <laughs> uh, but I just wanted to check in on you. I know you're taking everything very hard today. We haven't even had a chance to talk because we're both running around. I haven't even seen you yet today. But I saw your post about uh, stressed eating um, Girl Scout cookies. And, <laughs> you know, I just don't think that's a great idea. I hope you save me some, too. Um, so I just kind of want to see, you know, how you're doing. And, and you know, yeah, the, uh, the boys to men is... Uh, a bit of a tough touch as well. That kind of makes me emotional. And as you know, I'm not very emotional. Yeah. Um, so how are you, how, how are you doing? I'm not good, Brad. Um, honestly, I'm not good. Uh, I, I don't think it's fully hit me right now. I'm just mourning the individual players that I'll miss. But then I'm starting to look ahead to like games that I don't, don't really want to go to. And seasons yeah, that feel don't, lost. Don't, don't look ahead. You have and to, results yeah, you have that are going to be disappointing. It, it in the moment. Don't look, don't, don't look ahead. <laughs> but how are we supposed to handle the fact that this feels like we're going to go back to the, the lean years before, you know, they started to pick up the farm system guys and pull them up and start winning? First off, it doesn't feel like we're going back. We are going back. So, you know, acceptance is part of the process. You got you to get your head around that. Uh, you know, I mean, this is part of being a fan and a Cubs fan in particular, right? I mean, like I was at the Steve Bartman game and that was a, that was a really crappy feeling too. And that, that almost in some ways felt worse because we didn't have a world series, uh, you know, in our back pocket. So it's just part of the process. We signed up for this as Cubs fans, you know, we, you, you just gotta, you gotta accept it. So Brad, who are the Cubs in three years at this point? You mean like, Names on the back of their jerseys, or, yeah, or just what like, kind of where are, are they as an organization in three years? Uh, you know, probably uh, one step forward, seven steps back, kind of. You know, it's just sort of their mo. I mean, you know, it, this whole thing's just to me. It just it just feels really embarrassing, right? You're you're a a big market team, and you're in what should be a very winnable division. You you know, supposedly have. You know, owners who are billionaires, although they, they took a bath on the Wrigley renovations, right? So, like, that seems to be what's driving this. And, you know, this year, the season was sort of set up poorly with trading Darvish for, you know, what seemed to be next to nothing at the time. So, like, three years from now, I, I don't know. I, I can't get my head around, you know, three hours from now when it comes to this. It's all, it all feels so sudden and abrupt. I mean, it's just, it I, I don't know. It, it feels like a mob movie where, like, the all the best characters just got whacked. Yes, that does feel like it. Like the the Godfather with montage, where they just flash to different places where different yeah. people are getting murdered. Yeah, went, that's what yeah, just happened we just today. Went through, we just went 
We just went through a whacking montage. <laughs> okay, we're going to clip that off, and that's unfortunate for you. It really is. That's Whoa. my husband, unfortunately. Brad Zabung is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Your very first appearance, and you just so, said, we just went through a whacking montage. I didn't say I, I, it was. Come on, it was. It was about mob movies. It was. I, I don't know why you always have to go there. I don't know why either. Spouse. That's probably why you married me. I'm looking at this roster, Brad, and and I'm looking at some of the names of people that I'm still excited. If I were to be forced uh, to have my eyelids taped open and watch a Cubs game for the rest of the season, I would be excited about say the Kyle Hendricks and the Wilson Contreras's of the world. Maybe some of the you know the uh, Nico Horners and David Bodies and Patrick Wisdoms. Should I assume that? They're just as good as gone in the future, or, or is, is the Cubs, is this going to get down to a Ryan Terrio situation like a couple years ago? Well, or are we going to still field major I would leaguers? Say, I mean, I, I love a lot of the guys you just rattled off, but I would kind of put David Bodie and Patrick Wisdom on the, uh, you know, Ryan Terrio, Emilio Bonifacio, uh, Nutty for Nafi Perez. Like, that, that's all sort of what we're, dealt, we're, we're dealing with right now. So, yeah, I mean, be excited. We still get to go to Wrigley Field. We still get to drink uh, overpriced beers or, in your case, ciders or fruity, gross beers. But, you know, we, uh, yeah, I mean, that's all we have to be excited about right now. There's, there's, there's no excitement in what you just rattled off. I mean, Wilson Contreras and Kyle Hendricks probably aren't long for this team either. We might just have them for another year. Who knows? Am I, losing I thought off? Brad was here to make me feel better. Get out of here, Brad. Yeah, you just made fun of my beverages no, and told no. me to be sad. <laughs> I, was check, I was checking in. This was a wellness check. Okay, this well, was not to make you necessarily feel better. I appreciate the check-in. We'll talk later in real life, ever, presumably. When have when I ever done something a wacky make you montage? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm still stuck on the whacking montage. That's all I took it. away from this. We went through a wacking montage. Oh God, Brad, you're never living that <laughs> down. Bye. That, I love you. We're putting that on a. We're putting that on a t-shirt. <laughs> That's we amazing. Went through I, a whacking montage. Oh God! Stop! It's too much. It's too much. <laughs> I'm supposed to have something to look. Freddie Fitzsimmons is going to come next, and God only knows they're not going to have anything better than a whacking montage. <laughs> Nobody will. Spain and Fitz, thanks for hanging out with us. We just went through a whacking montage. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.